Hello and welcome to the Daily Texans Politics and Pints, the show that is currently 4.7% alcoholic by volume. I'm Alexander Chase, Daily Texan Editor-in-Chief. And I'm Jordan Shenhard, Daily Texan Forum Editor. We are very happy to come at you this week, fresh out of Ted Cruz's uh, one-on-one with Evan Smith, CEO of the Texas Tribune here at Texas Tribune Fest. An event so raucous that it cost me my voice. He's lying to you. It was the energy policy forums he lost his voice at. That's true. T. Boone Pickens was actually very interesting. But we're not here to talk to you about T. Boone Pickens or Oklahoma State or anything else nearly that interesting. No, we're here to... We're here to talk about Ted Cruz's endorsement of Donald Trump, first and foremost, probably all the way through. Which is really what everybody's been talking about at the trib, at this year's Trib Fest. Um, it came up, um, it's the first question in Evan Smith, at, in Texas Tribune CEO Evan Smith's one-on-one with John Kasich last night, and came up again and again and again and a few more times in his interview with Ted Cruz today, naturally. I think naturally is the right word to describe this. Um, we're going to be a little more direct than Cruz was during that uh, during that one-on-one. Cruz really showed off his uh, skill as a man who can keep the debate on his own terms. Um, when pressed on whether or not he thought Trump was qualified or if he supported any of his particular positions that are unpopular, he was really, really good at deflecting. I, I think... You know, if you look at this not as if there's an election happening, and it's only on terms of debate skills, you have to grade him pretty well. I mean, until the audience members started asking questions, he managed to deal with Evan Smith, who was an excellent moderator, I must add, fairly well. Um, he, he didn't, he didn't. It was pretty clear at times that um, Smith had hit a nerve, especially any time he asked whether, like you said, whether Trump was qualified, whether Cruz agreed with any of his specific policies, because um, at a certain point, his canned response of it being a binary choice between Trump and Clinton just started to sound um, a little discordant because of how direct he was on, he was on other issues. It made it sound as though Cruz wasn't 100% behind the endorsement that he made just yesterday, which is would be understandable given Trump's record of statements about Cruz and his family in the past, but also goes against Cruz's image as a straight-talking, <clears throat> Texan, honest senator. Well, that's Evan Smith for you, I guess. Um, Would love to have him moderate the debates. He's no Matt Lauer, that's for sure. Now's probably the right time to plug. Shamelessly, I might add, that I'll be moderating student government's uh, campus political debate they'll be hosting this Wednesday in FAC 21. We'll be grilling everyone from UDEMs, college Republicans, to International Socialist Organization and Youth for Johnson Weld, plus... Uh, par- state parties affiliated with each of them and the Travis County Green Party who will be on this at the same table as ISO. I imagine that'll be a lot more issues orga- organized rather than asking them for 90 minutes what they think of Donald Trump. That's at least our goal. But boy, was this sit-down just an interesting referendum on the aud- audience's opinions on Donald Trump. Yeah, it really was and. I mean, <clears throat> kind of unsurprising given the the setting of the the conference at the University of Texas in Austin. <clears throat> well, both very liberal institutions. It wasn't super surprising that the audience was so hostile to um, the relationship between Cruz and Trump. But the directness of some of those questions. One of them uh, came from a Muslim American student asking what Trump would do to our family very directly. One of them uh, from. Uh, 
a young woman who asked whether Trump's misogyny influenced Cruz's uh, decision to endorse, given that he has two young daughters. There's a lot of very pointed sentiment from the audience today. I think we should include that uh, Cruz made sure to tell that Muslim student that she should make that decision for herself, whether or not she should feel threatened by a Trump presidency. Um, Before shifting into into a bit of a stump speech about the impact of terrorism on Muslim communities abroad as well. Just to, get, to give him credit where it's due, he wasn't entirely yeah, unreasonable. Well, it, it, the thing about these sit-downs, um, you tend to pull the, the 15 seconds or so surrounded by context where someone very intentionally makes a choice that makes news along with a lot of other stump speech and bits. I mean, Cruz is no unprofessional... Um, or, Cruz is by no means unexperienced about giving those stump speeches. I mean, he's not Rubio telling us that Obama is... Uh, he's not Rubio telling us that Obama knows what he's doing, but he is pretty prepared himself. Um, what I found interesting in these remarks, though, is it seemed as Smith pressed him and pressed him and pressed him that he was almost endorsing out of obligation that he was voting out of obligation. He seemed to tell us a few times at the end that he is making his decision for Trump after a lot of deliberation and a lot of choice based on his own values and that the voters should undergo the same process. And more specifically his, um, his pledge earlier in the year or last August rather that he, along with every other Republican on the debate stage would support whoever the eventual nominee would be. He tried to kind of cast it as a sort of populist um, sentiment. I'm supporting the person who the majority of Republican voters wanted as our party standard bearer. As the majority, I should interrupt here to say, is not right. even the right word. Plurality. Yeah. Well, in doing so, he left a lot of room for a lot of people to make a lot of different interpretations. Um, I should say, I, I received a text from my dad during the middle of this thing, uh, telling that I was there. I mean... He voted for Cruz during the 2012 Republican primary for the Senate against Dewhurst. Um, he voted for him in the Texas primary. My dad loves Ted Cruz, and he told me that he'll be writing his name in on the ballot in Texas this year rather than voting for Trump. Um, I only find that important because Cruz does have a lot of political capital built up, and you know, writing as the outsider is something he's very good at and it shocked me that he'd make this turn with seemingly no real reason other than maybe Ryan Supremus's discussion that anyone who didn't endorse would be left behind um and I mean his not stage mate but the, the man who preceded him that it before John Kasich seems to be under the same threat but feeling much less pressure despite definitely being more of a quote-unquote establishment man if you will yeah, that's a good point and <clears throat> I think at this point in, in the show, um, we should move from talking about TripFest specifically and zoom out and look more at the Republican picture in general. Um, and speaking of your dad, another option for him would be to vote for independent candidate Evan McMillan, who's also an attendee or is also a speaker at the festival on, this weekend. He'll be on tomorrow morning. Uh, we're recording maybe maybe a little bit too excitedly. So the, the two questions that we should really focus on here are... Um, one, what is the current rift within the Republican Party and how is it embodied by Cruz and Kasich? And two, what is the future for the Republican Party after this election? And what, if anything, can we learn about it from people like Gary Johnson and Evan McMullen? Well, I think the Libertarian Party 
um, through all this conviction and its voters seem to be showing themselves to be a bit different. And I think one of the con- conclusions I have to draw after watching their convention and watching Johnson campaign is they themselves are very suspicious of anyone who's trying to exercise government power and are a little bit suspicious of Johnson for being the opportunist who's trying to gobble up five, six, seven, up to 10% of the vote in some states, maybe more. Imagine Utah's going to be interesting. Um, but Johnson is definitely a much different man than either Trump or Cruz. Um, being the governor of New Mexico is much different from being a senator from Texas, is much different from being um, the man who plied his trade-making birtherist YouTube videos, is much different from being a multi-term governor and congressman. Um, all these people are different levels of experience, uh, different levels of principle, and have different principles. Um but in offering all these different choices, we really get to see what voters actually care about. And I mean, the one who managed to come out of a large party primary with a nomination is not the one who had experience, is not the one who had experience telling people that he hated the Washington insiders and got that and used that to become almost a candidate in the case of Cruz. But the thing they really wanted to hear is someone who'd tell them what they wanted to hear. And I'm not sure that at McMullen or Johnson are going to be able to gobble up the votes so well from people who voted for Cruz and, you know, want someone who is going to tell them those sorts of things, but themselves don't have any credibility, don't have any experience, don't really have an in, if you will. You know, one of the interesting things about Gary Johnson's support is that historically the Libertarian Party has drawn more from, drawn more support from Republicans than from Democrats. But this year you're seeing the reverse, even though Gary Johnson was a two-term Republican governor who... Um, talks about, among other things, eliminating EPA regulations. The income tax. Mm-hmm. And uh, has kind of shown himself to be a little bit ignorant when it comes to, or maybe a lot ignorant when it comes to issues that Democrats care about, like humanitarianism abroad or um, racial issues in the United States. And you could say that some of his flubs have been even larger than uh, Rick Perry forgetting which uh, federal institutions he'd like to cut. Mm-hmm. And yet, here we are. It is interesting because a big criticism from big libertarian donors was that the libertarian ticket right now is kind of flipped from what it should be. They uh, There are a lot of people who think that Bill Weld, the uh, former two-term governor of Massachusetts, and uh, another former Republican, I should say, is a more qualified presidential candidate as opposed to vice presidential candidate than Gary Johnson, but that was just completely anathema to the libertarian base, which by and large consists of the kinds of people who would debate at their convention uh, whether or not five-year-olds should be allowed to buy heroin. Yeah, I mean, and to continue on this thread, you can write Evan McMullen's name in on your ticket in a lot of in a lot of states, which just to me sounds like one of the most libertarian things you can do. It's funny because McMullen himself isn't a libertarian. He's sort of running in the Ted Cruz lane of the general election, Mm, you could say. The conservative, never-Trump voice. He's really only polling highly in Utah, um, which is a state where both Trump's and Clinton's pasts and values are anathema to a pretty big chunk of Mormon voters. I mean, if if you gave the entire uh, the entire state of Utah their choice of who to vote for among the entire Democratic and Republican fields, I'm not sure that Clinton and Trump would really, I don't know, draw more than 25% even. Man. Um, and they're not in the polling. I mean, there are polls that show Trump ahead by double digits without drawing more than a third of the vote. 
mm. because of the number of undecideds or supporters of Johnson and McMullen. Johnson and McMullen combined in Utah are drawing like 30%. Yeah, and I mean, this all bodes in a very inter- interesting way going forward, and John Kasich was very quick to point that out. Um, personally, as someone who can't vote and probably wouldn't vote for John Kasich in a Clinton v. Kasich election, he still impressed me greatly. I mean, he left out a lot of pieces of his policy positions, which are just unsavory to a lot of college students or moderates. Um, you know, he didn't talk about social issues all too much. He, but, he did a little bit towards the end, and he mentioned how important um, I mean, the the one issue where he's really controversial is defunding Planned Parenthood. Mm. And he has said very clearly he there while well, he's personally pro life, there are a number of women's health initiatives that he does support. And he listed them, and he said that he just doesn't think Planned Parenthood is the organization to do it. Which I mean, <clears throat> neither you here nor there, I guess. But. Right, but I mean, as if you are going to try to make a conservative case um, on a college campus. And especially this college campus, he did a fairly reasonable job doing it. Yeah, I I feel as if he was just begging us to consider what the Republican Party is going to look like in January 2017 should um, the man he's not endorsing lose. Um, or even if the man he's not endorsing should win. Yeah, I um, that, that definitely sounded like part of that, though I think he's considering that a bit less. I mean, Eric Erickson, who's been on a few panels here, was pretty straightforward about thinking that trump will lose and i mean poll models are showing the race tightening but i think what we really should draw from this win or lose is that Kasich is trying his best to hold his ideological ground and he was giving us what looked like a pretty strong case for you know what w's compassionate conservatism <laughs> looks like 16 years later all right, so to, to wrap things up here with the question that's been on everybody's mind this weekend and a lot of people's minds just in general, is what is the future of the Republican Party in your mind? I think that Rick Perry, um, dancer extraordinaire and erstwhile Texas governor, really did a great job of outlining what I hope the Republican Party looks like going forward in a speech in Indianapolis earlier this year. The sorts of issues that I feel like the GOP has lost a lot of ground on or those where they're considering those who are not small, not small business owners, but maybe their employees or their prospective employees who are finding it harder and harder to find jobs in our economy, which is valuing skills and knowledge more than it is your ability to put together a sedan. Um, he made the case for a lot of ways in which states and cities and to an extent the federal government, but really local stuff can use incentives and conservative ideas to try to promote growth for those who need it. Not necessarily the the donor class, the rich class, who when they say low taxes, they really just mean that don't tax my millions of dollars. They're talking about how we can incentivize people to get back to work. And, and there was also a, uh, <clears throat> there was also a social element of the speech as well. He uh, framed it around um, the Black Lives Matter campaign and was uh, trying to describe what he thought conservatives could offer to the movement, and it was essentially the uh, fundamental distrust of excessive government authority and the idea that uh, you need to provide communities with the, the freedom to lift themselves up out of their um, out of poor situations. And um, I agree, I think Rick Perry is right. I think that's the, the image that, and that's the message that the Republican Party is going to have to go with going forward. Um, John Kasich has... 
John Kasich has done a good job making that case. This weekend, he talked a little bit about Black Lives Matter and explained uh, some of the innovations in community policing that have taken place under his watch in Ohio. And in the question is, I mean, this is similar to the Republican autopsy after in 2012, where they said, well, we just need to stop being so hardline on immigration. We might get some Hispanic voters. Are they actually going to be able to do it? And is this going to be palatable to the GOP base? Well, I think in 2012, um, the day after the election, if you will, it was very easy to say, we need to change. And they end up doing it one way or another. But the way that you go about that isn't always intentional is, and isn't always according to the plan that your autopsy will lay out. It's very easy to say, all right, let's get all the rational Republican voters who are going to vote in this primary. Let's tell them all, hey, shift your opinions a little bit. This isn't going to work. we got to win this election. But that doesn't always happen. Um, it well, clearly, it didn't happen this, <laughs> this go around. Yeah. Do, do we think that could happen in 2020? I, I'm not so sure about that. I really don't know what to expect. Well, I think what, what could happen there is, you know, there's a, obviously a large part of the Republican base right now who is really interested in a lot of things that Trump has to say. But I'm not really sure what percentage of them are going to be able to show up in a 2020 Republican primary if Trump loses, per se. Um, I do think that we'll probably see a less crowded field. I do think that we'll see some candidates who are less Trumpy and more Kasich-y doing very well, because a lot of people are very wary of the ability of Trumpism, if you will, to win America. And I think the net result of that that we'll see is through a less crowded field and some people who are a bit wary is a shift back in the other direction. Should the party continue on? And I'm willing to bet, just because of the number of mon- the amount of money that's invested in it and the number of people who are running under that banner, that something named the Republican Party will be around in 2020. I'm just pretty sure right now that because of some very, very concerned voters who saw themselves, well, shut out of their candidate being in the White House for 12 consecutive years, are going to vote for someone who's a little bit more likely to win. Or we'll see it all burn to the ground. I think those are the two options, um, Mike. I don't think they're going to double down on Trumpism in 2020 if it loses. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you're you're right. You're more likely to see either an extreme anti-establishment kind of position or something that's more palatable to the general electorate. However, speaking of burning things to the ground, um, I'd like to bring us to our um, weekly segment where we talk about what Jill Stein's been up to this week. <laughs> oh, um, yes. So... What I thought the, the most interesting Stein moment of the week was, was when the Russian Green Party uh, wrote an open letter denouncing her for her alleged close ties with Vladimir Putin. Um, Stein has appeared on Russian state television before and was once spotted seated at the same table as Putin at uh, a gala celebrating uh, the Russian president for something. And Stein responded to the Russian Greens by saying that dialogue is important with everybody, including Putin, and... Uh, then gave an interview in which she said that she would shut down corporate media outlets that she disagreed with on the grounds of them being corporate media outlets. Well, I for one think that rigging elections is a terrible thing. And Jill Stein's Twitter bio and her pinned tweet, I believe, will tell you much the same. Um, The Bernie supporters she's trying to vacuum up, I'm sure, will also be ready to shout at you about that exact same issue. Um, if they're worried about rigging elections, though, the best way to do that, for sure, is to you know get rid of all impartiality in the media. And um, you know, if the only 
media outlet we have in the United States is Russia Today. I imagine she stand a fair chance. I mean, it's not corporate. Also, while we're on the subject of corporate media, like we said earlier, don't forget to check out the Daily Texan hosted debate uh, this Wednesday, where you'll get to see Alexander and me and forum editor Leah Kasher interview some folks so you can decide which politicians you're going to hate come 2036. You know, I'm pretty excited there. Um, if we can get some great audience questions in about all sorts of fantastic issues from the economy to immigration to vaccines to, I don't know, whether Ted Cruz is a Zodiac killer. Or whether he's the lizard person. Man, these are really depressing issues for our age, aren't they? You really are. I didn't see anything reflecting in the... Uh, I didn't see any green reflecting off of his skin at the one-on-one, did you? No, but uh, there were some times where I was wondering if the light shield was slipping a little bit. <sighs> Man, what a time to be alive. Indeed. Join us next week where we'll be talking about something. Maybe a little more serious. Or maybe not. This podcast was produced by The Daily Texan and hosted by Alexander Chase and Jordan Shenhar. And the music was by Randy Wexler. Be sure to check back next week for our next episode. And for more news, go to dailytexanonline.com.